Jewish audio on Chabad.org. Continuing in the Rambam Mishnah Torah, Hilchas Shabbos, the laws of Shabbos, chapter 3, a, a very fundamental principle in Shabbos. And I'm going to give a little bit of an introduction, and you'll get the flow. We'll get the flow of this, and then the rest will fall into place. The question is, can things be automatically done on Shabbos, even acts which violate the labors of Shabbos? Can I get them going before Shabbos and let them go over Shabbos? The answer is yes, no problem. What can I not do? Any act which is happening on Shabbos where I will be tempted because of human nature to adjust that event. Classical example, a fire is cooking something. It's not cooking it enough. I want to fan the coals. I want to get things going quicker. And human nature is so powerful that we really can't be trusted that we won't do that. Because everything's about to get ruined. It's not going to be ready. And these are the events which we talk about in chapter 3. The fact that our sages initiated, instituted certain gzeros, decrees, in order to make sure that we do not violate the laws of Shabbos. But in and of itself, that would not be a problem. Now let's learn. One, Aleph, Mutter, it is absolutely permissible, the Haskell, to begin, Melacha, a quote-unquote forbidden labor, Be'erev Shabbos, as long as the beginning takes place on the day before Shabbos, on Friday. Afal Even though this act will complete on its own, on Shabbos. That's not a problem. Very fundamental principle. Because the prohibition against labor on Shabbos is only on Shabbos itself. Not on Friday. When the prohibition will come about automatically on Shabbos because of a preset situation. I began it on Friday. It is absolutely permissible for us to derive benefit from that which was completed on its own on Shabbos even though I got it going on Friday. That's the principle. And that's a very important principle. Bays to Ketzad, as they say back in Brooklyn. Give me a for instance. For example, Peskin Mayim Lagina of Shabbos in Chashecha. We're allowed to open an irrigation channel to a garden on Friday, watering. 
plants is a problem. Amalada caused the water to enter into the garden on Friday. And it's going to flow, and it's going to flow, and it's going to soak the garden. All day Shabbos. No problem. What I did, I did on Friday. Back then, they had a culture where they would take incense and smoke the incense and then hang clothing in the room so that the clothing takes in the aroma of the incense so the clothing smells good, doesn't smell stale. So that's, I mean, that's a serious labor on Shabbos. You're allowed to put the incense under... To set it up with the clothing, and they, the fragrance process can continue throughout the whole Shabbos. Or, or we can apply a salve to the eye or a bandage to a wound, which are also problematic on Shabbos. We'll learn the details. Doing it on Friday is no problem. And the healing will continue. Call HaShabbos Kula throughout the old, all the Shabbos. No problem. What I did, I did on Friday. Another example. We actually talked earlier <coughs> in the laws of Torah writing, mezuzah writing, tefillin writing, how you make the ink. It's a whole process. Mixing ink and herbs and you soak it so you're allowed to preset that before Shabbos, and it can soak a whole Shabbos. You can do it as the sun is going to set. And they can soak throughout Shabbos. No problem. Another example. You're allowed to set traps for animals, birds, and fish towards nightfall. Trapping is a serious violation of Shabbos. And the traps will hopefully get animals all Shabbos. But what you did, you did Friday. Another example, we can load the beams of an olive press or the round stones of a grape press and the process of preparing olive oil and wine involved crushing the fruit and then putting heavy weights pressing heavy weights over the olives and the grapes to extract the remaining liquids so this is a process that violates Shabbos but you can do it before Shabbos and it presses all Shabbos and the liquid flows out and continue to drip drop all Shabbos or, you can kindle a light, light a candle, or a fire, in the evening, there's no reason you shouldn't walk over to a fireplace, and turn on, to light the logs in the fireplace, and it burns, and continues to give off light, all Shabbos, all of these are examples, of acts, that are not problematic, because you do what you do on Friday, and everything kicks into automatic throughout all Shabbos. It's happening, thank God. You're gaining from it, Baruch Hashem. No problem. 
Gimel 3, Manichim Kededa al Similarly speaking, and now we start treading into dangerous area. But so far, so good. You take a pot and place it over the fire, a boss or batanor, or you take meat and place it in an oven, a al gabe or over coals, when? On Friday, vehein mizbashlim, and they cook, vehelchen, and they continue to cook. Kol ha-Shabbos, all Shabbos. I guess that's what we call chont. The eichlin esa and then you could actually eat it on Shabbos. Now the Rambam says at the end of three, at the end of Gimel, however, when it comes to cooking, there are many forbidden scenarios. Why? What's forbidden? I put it up before Shabbos. Gzeda Shema Yechata Bagecholim Bishabbos. This is the key word. We're concerned that he will stir the coals on Shabbos, which is a major violation. Because human nature is when you gotta stir, you gotta stir. You got to do what you got to do. And you can't control yourself. Dalid, Ketzad, explain it to me. How does this work? So he says as follows. And the rest of the chapter, more or less, are explanations, examples, scenarios. It's a very complex section of the laws of Shabbos. It's not simple. I want to point out here again that we don't do the final halachic decisions from the Rambam. The Rambam sets the basis for the halacha evolving into the Tur and the Machaber and the Shulchan Aruch and the Rav Shulchan Aruch and the Mishnah Bura and, and so on and so on and so forth. Tav shil If food has not been cooked to the extent that it must be cooked, or vechamin, or water, has not been boiled to a boiling point that is required. Or, another example is, the food was cooked as much as it needs to, but the more cooking, the better. But the longer it cooks, the better it is. So the cooking is going to improve it. And this applies nowadays as well. We should not place it on a fire for Shabbos. Even though it was placed there on Friday while it's still daylight. Gzeda, our rabbis instituted a decree, were concerned. Shema yechate begecholim kedei lest he stir the coals, or in our case, he raised the flame. You walk over, nobody's looking, you turn a little higher. You got guests here. Or to make it a more thorough dish, more thoroughly cooked. So these are problems. Therefore, therefore, if one removed the coals, or one covered 
the flame, the coals, with ash or thin chips from the combing of flax. Or, she'omimu hagecholim, the coals burned low. Sharehein kimachuses be'eper, which is like it's covered with ash. Or, she'hisikuha bekash a bigvava, a biglali behemadaka, the fuel that he used was straw stubble or the feces of a small animal. Where there are no burning coals which you could be tempted to mix or to, 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 to move. These scenarios would allow us to place the food on this. Why? Because it's not possible to improve it. If it's not possible, you're not tempted. Because he removed his concentration, he removed his focus, his intention from this dish. There's no reason to be concerned lest he stir the coals. There are no coals. He removed the coals. Or the coals have burned out in the case of the particular fuels listed above. Now, he brings down here in the notes in the Moznayim Rambam, and of course, this is a very common knowledge, that in contemporary terms, we cover a stovetop with a blech. What is a blech? A blech is a Yiddish word. It's a piece of metal which serves this purpose. It covers the flame. In many instances, it should also cover the knobs with which you can adjust the flame. So in that case, when it's covered and you're not able to act on your temptation to adjust, that solves the dilemma, that does the trick. That's why we place a blech, a piece of tin on our stovetop on Shabbos, preferably also covering the controls. But again, we're learning Rambam now, this is the setting for the law, and then the law follows the flow of halacha. Hey, number five, when does all this apply? With regard to what he calls a kira here. And the translation chosen here for a kira is a range. But it's not an exact translation. A kira is a, from the old country. It has limited heat, minimal heat. Avabatanur an oven. And they were talking about the ovens back then. even though he removed the coal or covered the coals with ash, where you can't play with it. or as mentioned before. He's using straw or stubble which don't leave coals, a mash in We should not leave food within this range, and we not place food, which is not sufficiently cooked, or is sufficiently cooked, but it improves with more cooking. Why? Because the heat of this type of range or heating element is so intense 
He's not going to remove his focus. He's going to continue to focus. And we're concerned that maybe he's going to play around with this heat source. Even though we said it's covered, it's straw, it's double, but it has intense enough heat to make a difference. Six, why did our sages forbid leaving the food in this kind of oven, even though the flame was removed? I removed the flame, what am I going to do? The answer is, because when somebody removes the coals, he removes the coals as much as he can. It's impossible to remove every bit of flame. Actually, to show until even one spark will not remain. Because the whole heat in that oven is very warm. Perhaps he's going to stir the fire. To get the sparks to be awakened. That's the nature of fire. So there's so much heat, you can always wake up a couple sparks and get things going again. You know. We have guests coming, the food's not going to be ready, come on, and so on, and temptation overtakes. We don't want to, the principle in halacha is, we should not be tempted by the weaknesses of human nature. Human nature is, you're cooking, you want it to be good. Zion 7, HaKupach, now he talks about something called a kupach. And he brings down here that in the Rambam's commentary on the Mishnah, he explains that a kupach is built over the fire with a place for one pot. And therefore, the heat of a kupach would be very intense, greater than that of a kira, which has several pots. A kupach is a one pot set up. There's a fire and then there's one pot sitting and that's it. And, and it's contained. It's much warmer than the warmth of an oven. Therefore, if gefet is used as fuel, the residue remaining after olives are pressed are called gefet or twigs. It's like this oven and you shouldn't leave within it. Will they all gobble on it? Will they say chaler next to it? Tapshu, a food shall a boshel called sorke, which was not completely cooked. A mitzamik v'yafale or improves by cooking more. Afal pishagorof a kisav offer, even though he removed the coals or covered them with ash because of the intense heat. Misiku bekashe begava. And if straw or stubble was used as fuel, hadeu kikira, then it's like the kira. Shehuska bekash ubegava, which was heated with straw stubble, or mashin olaven, you may, because it was removed, and you can remove it. Muter lismech lakira mebe'erev, and it is permissible to place the food there before evening. Ba'afapisha in a group of muter, even though it's not completely removed and 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 covered. Ve'ezu hukira, ve'ezu kupach. What's a kira and what's a kupach? Kira makayim shvisa shteiktedes kupach makayim shvisa shteida achas. A kira has a place for two pots. A kupach is more intense heat. There's only one pot, 
and its heat is extremely intense. So the reason that you're permitted to is because these materials are not substantial, they're going to be consumed by the flames, chick-chock, and there's nothing to stir. Ches, taf, shilchai, what about raw food? Shalei bishoklal, or shalei bashoklal, which was not cooked at all. A or, another example. Shabashal kol tzorkei, the food has been completely cooked. And if it sits and cooks further, it's bad for it. The earlier example is the more it cooks, the better it is. Here, if it cooks more, it's bad. Or it's raw. Two extremes. This kind of food may be left on the fire, whether in a kira, kupach, or tanor, range of kupach or an oven. Similarly speaking, any food that was cooked, but not enough cooked, or it's enough cooked, and it gets better, which we learned earlier is a problem, if he puts the raw limb of an animal, near sunset, then the whole pot becomes like a raw Food pot, you may put it on the fire, even though you didn't remove or cover the coals. Because it is what it is, he puts it there, he doesn't focus on it anymore, and we're not concerned in this type of scenario that he will go and stir the coals. Now comes a general rule. Any dish, any food, which is forbidden to be left on the flame, say, what if he left it? He's not allowed to eat it until Saturday night. You can't beat the system. In fact, he has to wait on Saturday night until enough time passes where he could make it after Shabbos. But, If he forgets, if it's something that was not cooked enough, it would be forbidden until after Shabbos. But if it's something that was cooked enough and it gets better as it cooks more, because he's permitted to eat it right after Shabbos because he forgot, and this was not an intentional violation, it was an inadvertent or unintentional violation. Ten, yud, kil, anything that may be left on the fire. As we mentioned earlier, under the various scenarios, when you take it off the fire on Shabbos, you may not restore it, you may not return it. And in general, you can only return things to a range where the coals have been removed or covered, such as in our case, a blech, or something that was heated with straw and stubble where there's no substance left to the coals. So you may return it as long as you didn't put it on the ground. Meaning you have to have the intent of returning it. Today they would say you hold on to it. You hold on to it and then you can put it back. Once he put it down, 
you can't restore it, return it. Even to something that was covered or the coals have been removed. You cannot return it to a stove heated with gefet or wood, mentioned before. Because the Heat is intense. And anything that you can't return, you also can't put something next to it on Shabbos because of the intense heat. 11. Another law, it's forbidden to put a ladle, a spoon, into a pot on Shabbos. While the pot is on the fire, to remove from it Shabbos. Why not? Why can't I put my ladle in and take out a little chalt? Because while doing so, one stirs it, and stirring is good for cooking. So you've got to take it off the, the, the heating source. Hold on to it, take some out, and put it back. Like you cook on But you may... Return it from one range to another, from a less intense to a more intense, but not from a oven type place to a covering type place. They used to like bury things, and that it gave intense heat. It has to be the same heat source. Yudbe is a person, a person should not fill a pot with peas or beans. Or another example, or a jug of water. And put it into the oven on Friday. As it's getting dark, and just leave it there. Because these and similar, even though they were not sufficiently cooked, like any food that was not cooked enough, because these peas or beans or water doesn't need a lot of cooking, and he wants to eat them immediately, and he's going to focus on them, he's going to play with them, therefore, he shouldn't even put them in. If he did, they're forbidden until Saturday night, and he should wait for as long as it takes to make it. Thirteen. If meat was placed in an oven before nightfall and left to roast to, to roast on Shabbos, depends what it is. If it, the meat is from a young goat, a kid goat, or other tender meat, then it's permissible. Because if he's going to be tempted to stir the coals and intensify the heat, he's going to burn the meat, and nobody wants to burn their food. Therefore, he's not going to touch it. Because it's so tender, it just needs a heat source. But if it's of a mature goat, a or beef from an ox who... Also, it's forbidden, because that needs a lot of cooking. And we're concerned he's going to mix the coals. But there's another alternative here. And that is, you can seal the opening of the oven closed with clay. So you're not going to be tempted to touch it. It is what it is. Why can't you unseal it? Because if you're going to unseal it, 
This is based on a principle of airtight. The air is going to get in, and the meat is going to get hard, and it's going to get messed up. The whole stove is going to get cool. The opposite is going to lose the meat. The sealed is sealed. So that's another example of what can be done to avoid the temptation of playing with it. 14, so also. Anything that air will harm, spoil, and gaze in all of Shami Galeo we're not concerned. He's going to uncover it and stir it. For this reason, we can place strands of flax into an oven to bleach before Shabbos, because if he opens the oven, they will spoil. And he's not going to be tempted. Fifteen. What if he took an entire young goat and placed it into the oven? When the body of an animal is intact, then the meat is not exposed to the heat of the fire on both sides. Therefore, it's a slow cooking process, and there's no reason that one will stir the coals because it has to cook slow and steady. Then this is considered halachically like a, the meat of a grown goat or beef. We learned earlier that if you put a piece of kid, young goat in, we're not concerned that he's going to mix it because it doesn't need a lot of heat. Here, this thing need, does need a lot of heat. And we are concerned, he's going to stir the coals, unless he sealed the oven. The exception is the paschal sacrifice. Even though he didn't seal it, because the members of the group of the paschal sacrifice will watch each other. You have a very vigilant group there. Tezayin 16, ain't sailing, bosser. You should not roast meat, onions, and eggs on fire. Only unless they can be roasted before nightfall and ready to the point where they are fit to be eaten. And <clears throat> this is an interesting principle which tells us that we should not put raw food on the oven because we'll be tempted to adjust it, unless it has already been cooked. How much does it have to be cooked? So the expression is, ben like the menu, like the food of Mr. Ben Drusoy. Who's Mr. Ben Drusoy? Ben Drusoy was a notorious criminal in Talmudic times who was always being chased, and therefore he would eat his food very raw because he had to finish before the cops came. To avoid detection. And therefore, our food has to be partially cooked, at least as much as Ben Drusoy cooked his food, in order for us to be able to put it up on Shabbos, so we know it's at least partially cooked. There's a lot of discussion in Shulchan Aruch on this. Once it's partially cooked, now you're going to cook it more. Mutter, it's okay. Because too much will not help it. Because if he mixes the coals, he's only going to burn it. 
For this reason, we learned earlier, you're allowed to take the incense and put it around clothing Friday afternoon. Because if you're going to mix the coals, then the incense is going to burn and they'll ruin all the clothing. You'll have burned incense smell. So we learn, and this is a key. Paragraph 17 is a very important paragraph. Any forbidden item on this list, don't think for a minute it's forbidden because it's made on Shabbos. You're allowed to make things on Shabbos if they're set on Friday. This is all the same theory, concern. You're going to mix the coals and intensify the heat, which is a serious Shabbos prohibition. For this reason, wool should not be placed into a vat to die unless it was removed from the fire. Because stirring the coals will help that. Or it should be sealed with clay. Lest one stir the dye after a nightfall because it needs intense heat. Yudches 18. Now we come to baking bread. Back then they used to take the bread, prepare it, take it and stick it to the side of the oven. It used to become crusty and then it would bake and then they would remove it from its stuck position. Now we'll understand the language here. 18. We should not place bread in an oven. Directly before nightfall. Or a cake on the coals. Unless it is sufficiently done so it sticks to the wall. And then afterwards, once it's partially done, it's stuck to the wall, and it remains there. Until it's done, baking, that's fine. Because at that point in time, mixing the coals, stirring the coals will only burn it. So we're not concerned. If he places it near dark, and then it got dark, and it's still not done. Im bemezid, if intentionally. Also, lechem erad matzah Shabbos. You can't eat from it until Saturday night. V'yamten, you should wait, but also until it takes enough time to make it. Im b'shegig, but if it's inadvertent, muter leilidus imenosh mazin shalishudus shalshabbos, he can remove from its stuck position to the wall enough bread or enough cake for three meals of Shabbos, but not more. Okshuraydan, when he removes it. This is called the Ridiyas Hapas, the removal of the bread. You shouldn't use the baker's peel. It's a tool, as they do in the weekdays. You should use a knife or something unusual. A person can make a fire from any substance he wants to on the ground or in a vessel and kindle it by day. And he could use its light or warm himself on the condition that he has to kindle the majority of this it should be majority, the major, the majority of it should be kindled before dark. The flame has to catch on on its own 
<coughs> before Shabbos, so we're not concerned he's going to intensify, he's going to poke around. But if it was not properly kindled, also one may not benefit on Shabbos Gezeda. There's a decree issued by our sages, in case he mixes the coals, stirs the coals, and moves the wood, in order for the flame to rise. What if he kindled one twig, or one piece of wood, one piece, thick piece of firewood, he has to make sure that the majority of its circumference and the majority of its thickness caught on before Shabbos, otherwise we're concerned you're going to play with it. Twenty When does all this apply? Big Vulin outside the Holy Temple, which is called Gvulin in the boundaries. But in the base Hamigdash, their laws were much more liberal. You can just cause it to catch. And the before the Shabbos Eve, we're not concerned that anybody's going to go stir in the base of Migdash. This is a, an expression. Kohanim are meticulously careful and they know what they're doing, and one Kohen watches the other, and so on. So in the base of Migdash, you, can, you don't have to be concerned with all these decrees. 21. What if there was a fire made of reeds or seeds? Which catch easy. You don't need to kindle the majority as you do with wood. Being that the flame caught on before Shabbos, it's already permissible to make use of them. Because the flame spreads quickly. And there's no need to stir the coals. If he gathered and bound together. The reeds, or place the seeds in a palm basket, which doesn't allow it to catch so quickly because it doesn't have enough air. And then it becomes like wood. And you've got to be careful that it's mostly caught on, so you shouldn't be tempted to stir the coals. The flame has to catch before Shabbos. 22, Medura, Shel Zepes, Eishel Gofris, Eishel Revov, Eishel Kira, he has a whole list of fuels here. When it's fueled with tar, sulfur, oily substances, wax, straw, or stubble. You don't need to make sure the majority is caught on before Shabbos. Why? Because all of these fuels catch on very quickly. No one will ever be tempted to stir the coals. End of chapter 3.